we have been doing a series, Finding Your Way in God's Word, a series through the Bible, a series through God's Word, and I've called it Route 66. There are 66 books in the Bible. So as we travel that route from Bible book to Bible book, we're trying to get week by week, one book at a time, sort of a big picture view. What is God's story all about? All right? And we've gone a ways already, and I want to do a, just, just a track our way through that Route 66 so far to explain how did we get to where we are at this point in the journey. So I've got a little roadmap of where we've been so far. We started in Genesis. Genesis was, was, first of all, creation, but we see the fall of humanity. And most of the, of the book of Genesis is not about creation. That's the first two chapters. Most of it is about what happens after that. You have the fall, and man, out of that perfection state in the presence of God, chooses his own way, chooses to know good and evil, and now experiences evil since then. So you have the fall, but God doesn't leave humanity fallen. God doesn't leave humanity completely to themselves, and God intervenes. The book of Exodus is about rescue. It's about redemption out of bondage that comes from sin into a new life, which in Leviticus is a life of worship. That worship is entered into by those who are willing to believe, by those who are willing to trust God. There's the book of Numbers. Numbers is all about trusting God in the midst of the wilderness. Trusting God when you feel like the bottom has dropped out and you're going down. Uh, That trust in God is based on God's promise. It's based on God's covenant. God establishes a covenant with a particular national group of people called Israel, And because through Israel and his covenant, his promise, his dealings with Israel, he shows himself to the world at large. In fact, this people that he's chosen, he says, I'm going to show myself through this people, Israel. Their job is supposed to be then, and we'll be hearing about this coming up, their job is supposed to be to demonstrate, to show the greatness, the goodness, the holiness, the grace, the mercy of God to all the rest of the world. The glories of God should be seen through his people. First of all, through this people he chooses called Israel. So there's a covenant established. Now Joshua, the book of Joshua is entering into that promise, entering into God's covenant, living in God's blessing, which they begin to do, but they don't follow through. They don't really completely um, experience God's blessing in his inheritance. In fact, as the generations go forward, moving from Judges or Joshua to the book of Judges, we find what happens when there's no king over Israel. Each man does what's right in his own eyes, okay? So there's no king and things just fall apart. And, and there are some ugly scenes in the book of Judges that they're, they're ugly to us and yet we realize that's the condition of, hu- of the human heart. That's what humanity is like in our fallen condition. We, there's no king over Israel. Each one does what's right in his own eyes, and what's, what's right in their own eyes is wrong. We need a king. Well, we're introduced to King Saul. We're introduced to King David. But we need a better king, than the, certainly than Saul. We need a better king even than David. We saw that David was not a perfect king. And following David, this kingdom that God has established, that kingdom is divided. Again, because of, the, because of the sin within humanity, also then within the kings, the kingdom is divided and we, and we find a nation in decline. So first kings, second kings, they are the history of this national people Israel for the rest of the Old Testament period, up, and, up to almost a few hundred years before the time of Christ. You have this history that continues to show a pattern of, of work of imperfect people who are not able to 
to, to fulfill, who are not able to keep God's promises, and so they're not able to live in God's blessing. They need an intervention. They need somebody to break in and change something. It can't continue like this. That intervention that's needed is the role of the prophets. Now, we haven't actually finished all the Old Testament history books. There are more. First and Second Kings are followed by First and Second Chronicles, which are another look at the same time period as, as the books of Samuel through Kings. There, there's also the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, more history that occurs after those books. But I wanted to pause here in our little journey down Route 66. I wanted to pause and I wanted to change the dial maybe. Imagine the, the car radio as you're driving along. I wanted to change the station to hear some other voices that are speaking into this time period. Has God just left his people to just go and wander along Route 66 as best they can? No. God has continued to intervene all through this period of history through his prophets. And what I wanted to do now is in the midst of this historical setting, why some of the, while some of that history is still fresh to us, as you've read First and Second Kings, and if, you, if it's a little fuzzy, then it's good to continue to read through those historical sections, even as we're hearing now from some of the prophets who spoke for God to his people and to others in the midst of that history, while those things are going on. What did God have to say? How did God intervene? One of the first prophets. Now, there are two kinds of prophets. There are the published prophets and the unpublished prophets. You thought I was going to say major prophets and minor prophets. All the prophets seem to have a major, um, a major point to share, but not all the prophets actually wrote a book. So there are certain prophets that were, were written, were kept, and were recorded for our benefit. There's something about what they have to say that the church, God's people, continues to need to hear. So in the midst of that history of the, the, the fallen and the decline, and in the midst of a nation that is declining and wandering away from God, we need to hear what God's prophets had to say. That's what takes us to the book of Obadiah. Now, I've given you a little background on the book of Obadiah. Obadiah is actually the smallest book in the Bible. Smallest book in the Bible. It's only 21 verses long. On a lot of your Bibles, you will find it on one page. Maybe it's split between two. It's a small book. And because of where it's tucked away in the midst of the other prophets, you may have difficulty finding it. The book of Obadiah comes right after Joel and Amos. It comes just before Jonah, a prophet that we know a little more about. Obadiah's not that well known. We don't know much about his own personal background, but uh, we do know a little bit about the historical setting. Now, interestingly, I gave you some of the his- history on the backside of your, of your notes inserts. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that this morning, but there's one point I want to make. There's some disagreement about when is Obadiah writing, because Obadiah doesn't actually write to Israel. Only well, sort of does, okay? Just hang with me. Obadiah is, 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 has an has a announcement of judgment to a people called Edom. Now, Edom are the descendants of Esau, who was the brother of a guy named Jacob, son of Abraham and Isaac, that Israel is the, all of Israel is descended from. So if you think about Israel as a people, then Edom as another people, they are brothers of Israel. They're related. They're family. But like your family, they don't all get along. Okay? So then, 
you have this, there's a background tension between Esau and Jacob, between Edom and Israel, and uh, that leads to some ways that Edom does not treat Israel very well. And there's an early occasion of that when some enemies come against Israel, we'll talk about it, and Edom doesn't help. Edom doesn't care. Edom sits back. Edom even helps the enemy. And in response to that comes the book of Obadiah. And from the book of Obadiah, out of this message, God is warning them, don't do that, don't act that way. And they're going to get another opportunity. They're going to get another chance to see how they would respond to God's word a little later when another enemy comes against Israel in the future called the kingdom of Babylon. So that's a little bit of overview. Now, we're hearing from the prophets. What do the prophets have to say? I want to talk a little bit about prophets this morning. When you, look, when you think about prophets, I want to give you a primer on the prophets. Things to look for when you're reading the prophets. You, would, you should expect confrontation. God is intervening. God is confronting his people. He's saying, this cannot be like this. It needs to be different. God's going to confront. And as God confronts his own people through the prophets, we should expect that God will confront us. Look for that. Look for, is, does any of this sound too close to home for me while you're reading the prophets? There will probably be something there. We'll find a lot about social injustice, a lot about things that people are not behaving the way they should in light of who they are in God's covenant. The, the confrontation is related to the covenant. Now, this is important. The prophets don't just make up ways in which they think the people should be acting. The prophets over and over and over again are confronting the people back according to what God has already revealed in his word. The people are held accountable according to God's law. The people are held accountable according to God's word, according to the covenant that he made with his people. So what the prophets are actually doing, the prophets are expositing. The prophets are explaining and applying the law of Moses into the lives of the people at present. That's what's going on. That tells us something. What we need to be doing, if we want to hear from God, one of the things we need to be doing is taking God's word and explaining God's word, what he has already said, in light of today. So there's, a, there's, a, there's, there, there's something here to be said for how we approach God, how we hear from God. It should be in line with what God has said. That's why we're a Bible-teaching church. That's why we want to understand our Bibles, because God has spoken to us through our Bibles. The prophets are going to confront through the covenant, there's going to be consequences for the way the people are misbehaving, for the way they are not keeping God's covenant. There are consequences, there are judgment, but the other thing you'll find in the prophets, there is consolation. There is a future consummation of the ages. God's plan and God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. There is a glorious day coming. There will be a culminating judgment, but there will also be a culminating restoration. As it was Even before Genesis, even before the fall, so it will be again. God will restore. There is hope, there is comfort, and there is consolation in the prophets. Look for that confrontation and consequence. Look for consolation and comfort, encouragement, and hope. The consummation of the ages, the coming of the king that we sang about earlier. That will be in the prophets as well. All right, if that's the prophets, what does it look like in Obadiah? The book of Obadiah, I, I, I mentioned before, is, a, is a, a short prophecy, and it's not actually to Israel, but just between you and me, it's meant for Israel. 
It's meant to be overheard by Israel. That's why Israel is the one that kept it. And, and it was written down and it was kept in the sacred and holy books, the writings of Israel, from one of the prophets, a message from God himself. It's a message in verse 1 of Obadiah, and I'm reading on page 653 if you're, in the, um, if, if you're using the Pew Bible this morning. Otherwise, you're on your own. You'll find it right after the book of Amos. Obadiah chapter 1, it says, This is what the sovereign Lord, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. God has something to say. God has something to say, not just to his people. God has something to say to all people. God has something to say, not just to Israel, but also to Edom and Egypt and Assyria and Babylon. God has something to say, not just Israel, but to America. God has something to say, not just to the church and Christians. God has something to say to all people. Do you know that all people are accountable to God? God is not just the God of Israel. God is not just the God of Christians. God is the sovereign Lord over all the universe. He's the one who made it all. He's the one who made it all, who made us all. God has something to say. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise up, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. Who can bring me down? Man, we've got it made. Edom lived in these high rocks. They had dwellings carved out way up high in the rocks. And to get there, you had to go through these narrow passageways and channels through canyons. It was impossible for an army to get through there with enough mass at one time to overtake them. They could easily take shots at them and take them out one by one as they came through these narrow channels trying to approach. They were secure. They were safe. Who can get up to where we are? We've got it handled. We are secure. We are safe. But their their own security deceived them, and it fooled them. Your heart is deceived, you who live in the clefts of the rocks. You make your home on the heights. Who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? The Lord says in verse 4, I will bring you down. What goes up, what exalts itself, what lifts itself up will be brought down. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster. Wouldn't they just steal some things? Wouldn't they leave some things? I remember one time in Africa, it was a really weird, uh, uh, house burglary was really common in southern Africa where we lived, in Swaziland and Johannesburg. It was pretty common to have somebody's house broken into and they'd steal stuff, okay? A weird thing happened one day when a a person was away from their home for a few days and somebody backed up a truck and they cleaned it out. They took everything, even their toothbrushes. Everything was gone. He's thinking, ooh, do you want the toothbrush? I don't know. But everything was gone. That was weird. He says, that's what it's going to be like. That's what it's going to be like. If, if, If grape harvesters had come to you 
Would they not leave a few grapes for, the, for, for those who would come and glean? But how Esau or Edom will be ransacked. His hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive you. Your own heart has deceived you, and so your friends will deceive you. They will overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, and you will not detect it. You think you're wise, but you're not going to see it coming. Here was, a, here, here was a people that were trusting in their own ability. They were trusting in their own security. They were trusting in how they had lifted themselves. I, I've got money in the bank. I've got a retirement account. I've got a secure job. I've got it together. Nothing can touch me while I even have health insurance. What can come near to me? The finger of God himself can come near to me. I'm not so safe. You know, it's a good thing, actually, to realize that I'm not safe from God. If I can couple that with God loves me, God cares for me, I needn't hide from him. In fact, I can hide in him. One of the, one of the little things tucked away in this, in, this, in this prophecy, those who eat your bread will set a trap for you. God himself has experienced the same thing. God himself experienced it when one who ate his bread with him, Judas, took the bread from Jesus before he went out to betray him. God knows what it's like to be betrayed by, the, by one who pretended to be his friend, the friend of his own son, Christ. But Christ knew that was the case and yet endured that for us in order to bear God's judgment in our place for our sakes. Because God would have us hide in him. I don't need to be safe from God. But we easily think we got it all together. We can rely on our own situation and our own circumstances. We have a lofty view of ourselves. Uh, and that lofty view, that, that, that being safe and secure and having it all together, that gives us a lofty view of ourselves. I got it together better than, I think I have it together better even than I do. And from my perspective, all of you don't have it together quite so good. I got a good three and a half, four feet on you here. I mean, really. You're, you're not quite up to where I am. I like this high platform here. But, you see, if I, if I have confidence in my own situation and safety in that, I can easily look down on people who don't seem to have it as quite together. That's what happened with Edom toward their own brother, toward Israel. First of all, we need to be reminded that everyone is accountable. Everyone is accountable. To God. I love the old spiritual from the South. There ain't no hiding place down here. No hiding place down here. I went to the rock to hide my face. The rock cried out, no hiding place. I'm sorry. Lord told me not to do that. I, there's no hiding place. We are all accountable, right? We're all accountable before God. And yet, we forget that. We get wrapped up in ourselves. Even, 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 even as Christians, we get wrapped up in ourselves. And that lofty setting that we find ourselves in, we transfer to ourselves and assume a loftiness about ourselves that comes across as arrogance toward others. Look at verse 11. Well, well verse 10. Why is all this going to happen to Edom? 
Why is God's judgment coming upon them? Look at verse 10. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day that you stood aloof or indifferent while strangers carried off his wealth, foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much. See the arrogance in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster and look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster or seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads and cut down their fugitives nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Not only is everyone accountable, but we need to show empathy, not arrogance. We need to show empathy, not arrogance. And there's something about a progression in this passage. If we go to the next slide, I want to show you a, 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 a progression in, in, in the passage that starts off with them there being aloof. It starts off with aloof. We're indifferent. We're distance. We're up here. Israel's down there. Who cares about Israel? We got it together. We're up here in the rocks. We are making our money off of mining. We are making our money out of controlling the trade routes. Oh, we're making some money off of robbing the trade routes now and again as well. But we're making our money off of other people's work by and large, and we're sitting up here safe and secure with nothing to fear. Israel's down there trying to eck out a living, farming and so forth, and they're praying to the wrong gods, and the rains aren't coming. They're having a terrible time. Who cares about them? We got a lock on it up here in Edom. That was their mindset. First of all, there was an indifference, an aloofness, which, which led to an arrogance. We've got it together and they don't. We're better. We're smarter. The wisdom and the great understanding of Edom as compared to those farmers in the hills down there in Judah and Israel. So the, the indifference leads to an arrogance, an arrogant attitude, which can lead from there into taking advantage. Somebody else came along and attacked. There was an, there was an Arab and Philistine um, convergence. They came together to attack Jerusalem, and Edom did nothing to help. Edom said, it's not our problem. It's Jerusalem's problem. It's not our problem. And they let the attackers come, and they watched, and they said, that serves them right. It wouldn't serve us right because we're better, but it serves them right. We're happy with when judgment falls on people who we think deserve it. We deserve it. We deserve judgment. That's why Christ died. From aloof to arrogant, then seeking advantage. They like played cleanup. They came along and, and the belongings, the goods of Israel, Jerusalem, that the attackers couldn't carry away, they came and picked through themselves. It reminded me, when I was in the Air Force, I was in school, one of our favorite times was when somebody graduated. When somebody graduated and they were leaving this training base finally and they were going out there to the real Air Force, wherever that was, to their first real assignment. They're out of training and they're packing up all their stuff and invariably after being there eight or nine or ten months, they're going to leave some stuff behind. Well, we're not leaving yet. We're not going out into the real Air Force. We're still stuck in this little training bubble and things about the training bubble are still important to us and so stuff that they're leaving behind because it doesn't matter to them anymore is valuable stuff to us. And so we would come through those, those dorm rooms like scavengers. What do they leave? Do they leave anything good? 
Any good food left in the fridge? You know, any good stuff that they couldn't fit into their bags that we can claim and make use of? That's what Edom does here. Only Israel has been overtaken by enemies, and Edom could care less. In fact, they will take advantage of somebody else's misfortune. It's kind of like somebody else is in such trouble that they have, they have got to sell their car. they got to sell it in a hurry. And you say, sweet. Sorry about your trouble, but this is the opportunity for me to get a good deal, a good price on a car because you've really got to sell it. When it could instead look something like, wow, this is a time when somebody's in need. Instead of talking them down on the price, I could actually, you know, say, I know you're, you're willing to sell it for 25 but actually I think your car is easily worth 2800 I should give you 2800 for it. Would you ever do that? You'll have a chance next week. There's a yard sale. Kelly, don't tell me names. But tell me next week if anybody comes along and pays more for something at that yard sale than what it's listed at. Wouldn't that be cool? That this is for somebody's benefit. This is grace to somebody. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be cool if instead of paying less, we paid more? Can we give graciously and generously? You know, I, I put up there, show empathy, not arrogance. You know what that looks like? We, we, we need to be careful in the church about pity. We need to be careful as Christians about having pity for other people. You know, pity looks down and says, oh, so sorry for you. You really have a problem. You really need help. That's pity. Empathy looks a little different. Empathy comes alongside, and empathy says, we're a mess. We all desperately need a Savior. Pity might look down and say, your life is a wreck. You really need Jesus. Empathy says, we all desperately need a Savior. You see, pity has something of the odor of arrogance about it. Empathy humbles myself in the sight of the Lord and his holiness. I don't measure up either. And yet God has provided a Savior. And I want to share that Savior with the people around me. If I, if I remain indifferent, if I remain aloof, then that's going to just fuel an arrogant attitude within me toward others that is going to probably set me up to be taking advantage of people around me rather than giving myself for people around me. You see the opposite? And I will end up on the attack. I will end up as the adversary rather than as their helper. I will follow the pattern of Edom. It began with aloof. It moved to arrogance. It moved to taking advantage of Israel. It moved to actually joining in the attack of Israel. And you'll see that around you. You'll experience that probably sometimes from the Edoms of our society, from the, those who have no faith in God about us, who, who not only would stand apart from you, but who would ridicule you because of your simple, naive faith. Do you really believe that Bible stuff? I would actually take advantage of you, maybe because of your honesty, maybe because of your integrity. We need to be different. We need to rather be willing to, to lay ourselves down Rather to be used, to spend and to be spent for the sake of others. You know, if this pattern works that way, starts with aloof, goes to arrogant, goes to advantage, goes to attack. I don't want to get down here to advantage and attack. 
but I, I'll win that battle up here at the aloof and indifference. That's where I'll win that battle. Instead of standing apart, instead of being indifferent, how could I, instead of being indifferent, look around me at people around me who are in trouble and say, how could I get engaged there? See, engage will prevent me from being arrogant, prevent me from taking advantage, prevent me from going on the attack against them. I will find myself helping them instead. I'll find myself with empathy toward them rather than arrogance because I get engaged alongside of them. That's why, that's why I wanted to point out that aloof, arrogant, advantage, attack uh, flow because I, I won't win down here. I've got to start up here. Instead of being apart, instead of being aloof, instead of being in, indifferent, I need to be engaged I need to care. I need to put some skin in the game. And that'll change everything that flows out of that. Because we are called to show empathy and not arrogance. We are called to share God's restoration. I told you that the prophets included the the consummation, that hope, that glorious future that they anticipated. Even in Obadiah, one chapter, 21 verses, a good third of the book is given to the future hope. And this is one of the reasons it's precious to Israel. Even though Israel experienced their brother watching their demise, their brother participating in their fall, God tells the world he's going to set it right. Look at verse 15. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. We are all accountable. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been enough. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble, burned up by Israel. You see how the tables have turned. They will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. You know, the house of Esau was destroyed after the Babylonian captivity where Israel is carried away and Edom again helps. They didn't listen to God, but they again helped the Babylonian attackers against Jerusalem and God held them accountable for it. Near after that, some of their own allies that they welcomed into a banquet feast. Maybe they were celebrating Jerusalem's fall, I don't know. But not long after Jerusalem's fall, they welcomed some of their own allies and their own allies. Once they're safely inside that channel I told you about, inside the gate, that's when they turn. And that's when they kill the guards. And that's when they attack. And that's when Edom is wiped out. And they're pushed out of their high and lofty fortresses. One of the last well-known Edomites who pushed out of their own area were called Edomians, was King Herod the Great. Last great, and, the, and the, from, from, from his, his decline, that, that people has been lost in the, in, the, in the ash heap of history. And yet Israel, Israel still remains. Israel still remains waiting to be fully restored by her God. This the, this company of Israelite exiles, verse 20, who are in Canaan, they will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in, Ser- who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. To the nation of Israel, 
as time rolls on and as difficult and harsh times come. And they wonder, where has God been? Why have even our own relatives and our own brothers in Edom turned against us and not helped us? We have been left to ourselves desolate and there's no hope anyway. God says it's going to be restored. I am going to keep my promise. I chose you to portray my grace. I chose you to pour out my mercy on you and I will do that. You can empty yourself. You can take somebody else's abuse. You can take the abuse of an Edomite in your life, those who are without God and who would ridicule you for, your, you for your faith, who would ridicule you for seeming to throw your life away in things that won't really benefit you. You can take that. You can do that because you have every confidence that God will vindicate you. God will restore you. God himself will make it right. Yeah, we're all accountable. But by God's grace, by, all, by God's grace, we can participate instead in his rescue. We can share God's restoration with people around us. And it comes out of not standing apart, not looking and pointing and talking in God. It, com- it comes with getting engaged, coming near, coming alongside and saying, Lord, how will you use me in people near me to show your restoration in the midst of a world that seems to be spinning out of control. Help me, use me, God, to point to the God who is the rock, the one who is the sovereign Lord who is in charge of it all. Would you pray with me? Father, here this morning there are some who have been ridiculed, who have been on the blunt end of somebody else's arrogance and even been taken advantage of. Lord, perhaps their own trust in you has been used against them. Father, would you remind them this morning? Lord, would you reassure them in their heart that you know their loss and that you yourself will vindicate them? As they have been cast down, you will lift them up. Father, would you also cause us to open our eyes, to to guard our own hearts against aloofness and and arrogance and indifference. Father, would you cause us to see the people around us not with pity that might look down upon them. Father, would you cause us to see the people around us with your empathy, seeing them as others just like us who desperately need your Savior, who desperately need your grace, who desperately need your rescue. Father, make us agents of your mercy to the people around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all who agree said,